You're listening to Truth To You Radio with Jono, and g'day to Owen, uh, who's commented on the Truth To You Facebook page, and also Gail, who's commented there, and just want to say thank you to the listeners who do comment and share the Torah Pills. It is time for the Torah Pills. Pills from the Torah portion with Keith Johnson and Nehemia Gordon. G'day, fellas. Hey, g'day, and a shout out to Maria A. over in uh, North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey. Uh, thanks for listening, uh, although the name of your town confuses me. Is that north? Is it south? I don't know what that's about. <laughs> it's, it's, good to, it's good to have everybody, not only with Facebook and all the comments. Ken Alder, I want to say thanks to you for commenting on uh, Truth To You Radio. And wherever you may be around the world, it's good to have your company. And uh, today, now, well, today we are in uh, Tazria Metzorah. It's a double Torah portion. It uh, consists of Leviticus chapter 12 all the way through to the end of 15. And, well, it, you know, I want to say it begins like this. I'm going to read a little bit of it, but I'm going to do something I have in mind to, to head in a particular direction. And maybe you guys, you know what? I'm just going to start reading and let's see what happens. Just be led by the spirit, Jonah. Okay, here we go. Yes. You ready? This is what, this what is the way that it key? starts. This is chapter 12. Then Yehovah spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean gotta seven... Gotta stop you there. Whoops, gotta stop, stop you there. We've got to talk about this first word there. There it is. It's not the first word, but it's actually the name of the Torah portion, Tazria. And you're, you translated it conceived. What do you got there, Keith? So it says... Um... It says, uh, the Lord said to Moses, said, this was a woman uh, who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son. So what it literally says in Hebrew is when a woman uh, produces seed, tazria, from the word zera. And now, I've got to warn the parents, this might not be a, a children-appropriate Torah portion, because we're going to be talking about adult topics. I, I don't see a way around it. Yeah, I do. Yeah, okay, well. I, I don't see a way around it. Okay, anyway, <laughs> what it literally says is if a woman produce, produces seed. Now, what's that about? Um, one of the things that I've heard people teach is that, uh, you know, there's this verse over in, I believe it's uh, Genesis chapter 3, mm-hmm. and it talks about the seed of a woman. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Over there yes. in Genesis. Yeah. And it, and it says over in Genesis 3.15, an enmity I will place between you and between the woman, speaking to the snake, mm-hmm. and between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And one of the, the brilliant teachings I've heard out there is that... Um, that you know, look, the seed of the woman. This is has to be referring to you know something supernatural because women don't produce seed. And what the what people are thinking when they say that t- sort of thing is they're actually thinking in, in modern um, biological terms. When we say seed today, we mean something very specific, mm-hmm. something that only a man produces. Sure. Um, see, I'm still trying to keep it G, uh, <laughs> rated G. Um, so something only a man produces. But when Scripture talks about seed. It isn't thinking in biological terms. It's thinking in 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 uh, in the terms of the, the way the word was used in in everyday speech back in ancient Israel, which is offspring. And so, in Hebrew terms, a woman does produce offspring, and that's why this opens up and it says kitazlia when she when she uh, produces a seed. Now, why do they translate it as when she gives birth, when she when she conceives, when she um, what did yours have, Keith? When when she uh, she becomes uh, pregnant. When she becomes pregnant, because they're trying to translate it into modern biological terms, into modern language. But in, in the ancient language, zera seed didn't mean semen; it meant uh, offspring. Now, sometimes it did mean semen. Shichvat zera. We have that over in Leviticus 15 in, in a very specific combination when it comes from a man. But usually, when it speaks about seed, it's quite simply uh, means offspring. And, and a great example of that. And look, I'm not knocking people who want to say theologically that Genesis 3.15 you know, refers to Jesus or something like that. If they want to believe that, that's a theolo- – you know, I'm Jewish. I don't believe that. But if they want to have that theological belief, go right ahead. But don't say that linguistically, grammatically, this has to refer to uh, something supernatural because women don't produce seeds. That's, that's just stupid. Um, and you just make yourself look stupid to anybody who actually knows Hebrew. So look over in Genesis 24. There's this great verse where um, – it's that it, they're blessing Rebecca, who is about to go off, and mm-hmm. and they say, and they bless Rebecca and said unto her, Thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let thy seed, in the King James, mm-hmm. possess the gate of those which hate them. And in the Hebrew, it says the same exact word, Zerah, the seed. Now, is does Rebecca here referring to, um, you know, what is it referring to, right? I mean, maybe that's referring to, to you know, some supernatural event as well, but the seed is uh, possessing the gate of his enemies, and it's going to be... 
thousands of, of tens of thousands is what it literally says in the Hebrew. Well, um, I hope that doesn't refer to the Messiah because that's an awful lot of Messiahs, thousands of tens of thousands. Mm. Anyway, long story short, when it says seed in Scripture, it doesn't literally necessarily mean seed in the bi modern biological sense. What it means is in the ancient sense of offspring. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Okay. All right. There it is. And so, uh, yeah, born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity, and she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, uh, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. She shall mm -hmm. then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. 33 days. She uh, shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be in unclean two weeks. It's doubled. Why is that? Well, so let's finish the passage and we'll talk okay. about that. Mm -hmm. yeah. As in her uh, customary impurity, she shall continue in the blood of her purification 66 days. Uh, when the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son so, or so a daughter. Let, let, let's, let, can we stop here and talk sure. about what, what, all right, what, what just happened here? You know, this was like if, if you're not familiar with these passages, you read this, you're like, what on earth is this thing talking about? Right? And, and, and I think the key term is in verse 2. It says, and she shall be uh, tame. That's an important word to teach the audience. Mm -hmm. We have mm -hmm. two states of ritual, uh, ritual status in, in Scripture. There's tame, which means ritually impure, and tahor, which is ritually pure. Tahor and tame, tame, tahor. All right. So she will be tame. She will be ritually impure for seven days. And it says, literally, like the days of the uh, uh, impurity of her um, dava, is a word that's difficult to translate. It's usually translated as sickness. What it actually means is her period. Her, mm -hmm. um, you know, sickness is a euphemism because they didn't want to say that. Mm -hmm. Maybe they thought there were kids watching. Um, so, uh, like the days of the the uh, impurity of of her period, she shall be unclean. Now, what does that mean? W what happens during the days of her ritual impurity of her of her uh, of her um, period? Well, that's something that's discussed over in Leviticus 15. And what it says there is that from when the woman, and I guess we'll talk about this more when we get to Leviticus 15. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good idea. But, 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 I knew it. I told you. <laughs> no, we got to talk about it. Got to talk about it a little bit here, which is that um, what happens is basically when a woman is in a state of ritual impurity uh, because of her period, because of her menstrual period, mm -hmm. she is not allowed to have sexual relations with her husband. And there's two verses that actually talk about that, which aren't in Leviticus 15, and I'll bring those now. Uh, maybe you could read them for us. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 19 is the first verse, and these are actual prohibitions. Chapter 18, verse 19 says, Also you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself okay, with her. Sorry, something else. Now, Leviticus, so it's saying when a woman is uh, having, you know, end up in her the period of her impurity, mm -hmm. meaning she has her menstrual period, but it's not just when she has her menstrual period. Again, we'll talk about exactly what that is later. But it really is a seven-day period, uh, a seven-day time that she's ritually impure. And during that entire seven days, even when she doesn't have menstruation, she can't uh, have sex with her husband. And that's what this is saying here in Leviticus 18. And Leviticus 20 says a similar thing. Uh, and a man who lies with a woman who is menstruating and uncovers her nakedness, the, uh, her source he has uncovered, and she has uncovered the source of her blood. The two of them shall be cut off from the midst of their people. That's Leviticus chapter 20, verse 18. Mm -hmm. So here we have two verses that are clear prohibitions to have sex with a woman in her period. What's really interesting is Ezekiel chapter 18. Can we jump over to there and maybe talk about that for a minute? It's one of the coolest passages in the Bible. Mm. It talks there about, you know, the Israelites believed that if your father sinned, you're damned. You're, you're going to burn in hell. There's nothing you can do. And God said to him, no, if you repent, it doesn't matter what your father did. It's completely irrelevant what your father did. Mm. And it gives various scenarios about somebody who lives a righteous life and somebody who lives an unrighteous life. And, <clears throat> and so verses 5 to 9 are the scenario, is one of the scenarios, the one where it talks about a man who lives a righteous life. And it lists all these different things he doesn't do. And one of the things it lists in verse 6 is, and to a woman in her uh, nidah, her menstrual impurity, he does not approach, meaning to have sex with her. And um, and I think that's fascinating. And of all the things it listed, you know, it didn't say anything about sacrifices here, um, it, but it talks about a very specific set of things. Mm -hmm. And one of them it, that it's worthy of mention that that in the biblical mind is is you know something that's key is uh, having uh, relations with a woman in her, during her menstrual impurity. Mm -hmm. So it's not just some trivial little ritual thing that that should be ignored. It's actually quite important. And in biblical terms, according to Ezekiel eighteen, it, it's uh, a key thing for for being a righteous human being. 
Um, now, okay, so we have the seven-day period for the man and 14-day – for a boy that's born and 14-day period when a girl is born yeah. that the man can't have sex with her. And why, why do I say that? Because it says she shall be like the days of her menstrual uh, impurity. She shall be impure. So what that means, what I understand that to mean, she can't have sex with him for that seven days for the, for the boy offspring, mm-hmm. 14 days for the girl offspring. But then you have um, – <clears throat> Then you have this 33 days and 66 days, and what's that about? You guys have mm. any ideas about that? I have absolutely no idea whatsoever, Keith. I'm sure you're going to find it in Ezekiel or further in the script. Go ahead, Nehemiah. No, no, it's not in Ezekiel. <laughs> well, look, so the thirty. So look, we have 33 days for the bo- male offspring. In other words, there's a period of seven days, followed mm-hmm. by another 33 days, an entire period of 40 days that the woman is ritually impure, ritually unclean. Uh, and for a female offspring, she's ritually unclean for 80 days, 14 plus 66. Yes. Now, what happens during that second phase, during the 33 for the boy and the 66 for the girl? And there's actually a, a, a major dispute among Jewish sources about that, primarily a dispute between Karaite Jews and Rabbinite Jews. But even among the Karaite Jews, there's, there's a dispute about that. Let's start with the rabbinical position. So the, the phrase here is that it says, um, let's see, it refers to it here. It says in thirty in verse four of uh, Leviticus twelve, it says in thirty three days she will sit in uh, with the blood of her purification, and they say, well, blood of purification that means she's ritually pure for thirty three days, um, which makes no sense to me. But and it goes on and it says and uh, and no holy thing shall she touch into the sanctuary she shall not enter mm-hmm. until the completion of her days of her purification. So what the rabbis say is that during those thirty three days or sixty six for a boy, she can't go into the temple, can't touch the holy things. But during the entire period of those days, she can uh, have relations with her husband, and even if she has her regular menstrual period. Okay, so that's really weird. And so the phrase they give there is they say, even if she's flowing like a river, during those 33 or 66 days, depending if it's a boy or a girl, she is ritually pure for all purposes concerning sex, and he can have sex with her even if she um, has a flow. Now... The Karite uh, position uh, is the exact opposite, um, although, again, there's a debate among the Karites themselves. Some say that during those 33 or 66 days, she can't have sex at all. In other words, during the entire 40 or 80 days, she can't have sex with her husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be honest, um, that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, because then why distinguish between the 33, between the 7 and the 33 and, and the 14 sure. and the 66, right? In other words, what you're basically saying is the, the 7 days and the 33 have the same status. Um, so in any event, the way I'm reading it is that during those seven and 14 days, um, she is, can't have sex with her husband cause she's as if she's ritually impure, um, from the period, just like we'll read about in Leviticus 15, but during the following 33 or 66 days, her only prohibition is that she can't touch the holy things or enter into the temple. Um, mm-hmm. but as far as having sex, there's no prohibition there. And, and that's actually one of the carried opinions, the one that I tend towards you. Okay. So. Keith, um, this program is officially rated M for mature audiences, and right. um, that's all I have right. to add. How to can we talk about this without dealing with these issues? I mean, you know. yeah, no, no, I think I think that's important. The thing I was um, I was kind of looking at this. I, I want to um, you can add the children back in now. Um, is the ad, the idea of um, so this this difference between a son and a daughter, okay. and and what and what would what would that would be what that issue would be? But the the bigger issue for me. Was as I was reading this immediately, what I thought about Nehemiah and, and Jonah was I was going back to this idea of um, childbirth after um, the situation that took place with the um, uh, with, uh, with 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 the serpent mm-hmm. uh, after you know um, the father comes down and, and talks to um, Eve and and Adam and the serpent. And I just thought that there's a, just an interesting verse, and I just wanted to bring this up, you guys, just just as a discussion. So, what was the issue regarding um, childbirth, and why is childbirth uh, is is it the issue of the blood, or is there also a connection with the actual birth of the child? Because, um, and, I, and again, we can we could just have a short discussion about this, but the significance of childbirth, the significance of bringing forth um, this this child. And then, and then, just wanting to wanting to ask this question more, more for the people. I'm sure some of the that are listening. So, how is there a what is the view of? The, in other words, why would it take double the time? Why would there be double the time for a female uh, mm. versus a male? Mm. I mean, is that is that? I mean, I have all boys. Well, that's that's a that's a common and question. I, I and and yeah, the other, so the I, other common question Keith is found in um, in verse uh, verse six. 
where it mm-hmm. says that uh, she uh, she has to bring a sin offering. And people say, well, what? What are you saying? Are you saying that to give birth is a sin? What is the sin here? Whether there's something that the natural bodily function here is somehow I've, I've done something wrong. What does this mean? Mm-hmm. So that's a really good question. And specifically, it talks about the priest uh, uh, atoning for her, um, that he you know, has this atonement for her. So what, what is, um, and, and look, I don't have an answer to that. That's really, that really is the bigger, that's a bigger question. Uh, one possibility is that the word for sin uh, or sin offering can also mean a purification offering. Um, but that doesn't then explain the atonement. What does she need atonement for? Um, and I, I don't have an answer to that. I want to address, though, the other question that Keith raised, which is why a boy, the woman becomes ritually impure seven days for a boy, 14 days for a girl. Does that mean that women are um, you know, less, ho- you know, less holier? And that, that's something I, I hear a lot from feminists, that, that you know, look, the man was created first, the woman was an afterthought, and uh, and then in scripture, women are you know create more ritual impurity than men, and and, and therefore scripture is anti women yeah, because it seems and, like it's saying that she has incurred a greater level of of impurity. Yeah, right. So I want to offer an alternative uh, uh, analysis of that. In other Please. words, look, you could look at it that way and say that men are holier than women, and that's why women create more ritual impurity, and that's why women were created afterwards, men were created first. So I want to offer an alternative, and and this isn't something I made up myself. This is something you find in Jewish writings, which is that. Um, if you look at the order of creation, it starts off with the simplest things, right? We have inanimate objects, and after inanimate objects, we have plants, and after plants, we have uh, animals, and then after, um, you know, really the lower animals, the sea animals, and et cetera, and then afterwards, you have the higher animals, the land animals, um, and then after that, you have humans, and then finally, the last thing to be created is woman. Um, so from that perspective, actually woman, then if you look at it that way, is kind of the, the most advanced um, thing in creation. And, and, you know, I'm not, and I'm not saying that as a feminist. What I'm saying here is, look, women have been given the blessing of being able to produce life. Men are involved, it's true, but they bear a life for nine months. Mm. And there's something holy about that. There's something that connects them to God mm. through that experience. And if you look at the first uh, child born um, after Cain and Abel, um, or excuse me, Cain, uh, who is born, she says, "Kaniti ish et Yehovah," which says, "I have," which means, "I have literally I've created a man, a, a a person with Yehovah." So a woman has this interaction with Yehovah through childbirth that that we don't have, that we're not blessed with, and and I tend to think that that's the reason that the woman is the last thing in creation because she really, in a way, is more advanced than man. She has this holiness that we don't have. And I think there is, in, you know, therein lies the reason for the greater level of impurity. There's this concept in Scripture, we, we'll see it in Numbers 19 with the, with, the, um, with the red heifer, that if something is really, really, really holy, it actually creates ritual impurity when, when you come into contact with it. Um, and so, so the fact that she has 14 days doesn't mean that she's less holy. On the contrary, that may be a function of her being more holy, the, the, the birth of a, of a female child, and, uh, and not the other way around. Um, so I think really it's a matter of your perspective. If, if you want to come at this with a chauvinist viewpoint, you, you definitely could. But I think there's a lot of clues in the scripture that, that there is a holiness about women that we should respect and, and honor. And uh, thank God, you know, we have this, uh, this, this, this image in Proverbs 31 of the Eshet Chayel, of, the, of the, the, the woman of valor. And I could talk for an hour about that, but I'm not going to. So, so, uh, so here, I, here my money ball Jonah was going to be uh, Genesis chapter 4. And uh, I, was, I, I was building up. I was building up. <laughs> I was building up to my money ball in Genesis chapter four. Now I'm going to have to pull something real deep out. And, <laughs> I, I can't. Genesis four. He took it. Okay. So, Genesis four one. I've let, created so a man anyway, with your value. Yeah. Let, let me right. let me say this. What I was actually excited about is I was thinking about it. You know, asking the question, but I did think about the complexities of um, male versus female. And one of the things I love about Genesis and in the early part. Is that in it, Nehemiah? You actually put it in a really, um, really concrete terms. I kind of was thinking of it a little bit different. Is that you know he made man, but he built woman, and so the idea of of woman being built. I mean, it, it, <laughs> I just, I just think of you know in my in my my background, you know, we 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 um we have a different appreciation in my culture. There's sort of the this appreciation of uh, of women in terms of. Uh, the many things about them that are complex, mm. and just the idea that 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 you know he, he takes man from the dust, but he has to he has to form and build woman from from the uh, from the uh, you know how I can say it taken from man, but then actually I see this idea of it being uh, sculptured, crafted, built. Mm. 
um, et cetera. So I, I like the idea that there's a complexity with women. Um, the fact that they're able to bring forth life, um, mm. carrying children for for nine months, all those things that Nehemia said is just uh, is just really, really, really powerful. And I, I thought about it a little different also. I thought, man, you know, only 14 or, you know, how many days for men and how many days for women? Because you're creating another one of these, um, another one of these, these beautiful and amazing, mach- you know, uh, creations mm. are coming forth that are going to continue to do this. You know, women that bring forth children, et cetera. So it's amazing. Anyway. And, 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 you know. It's a it's a whole world of experience that us men can only observe, and yes. uh, and and the miraculous. God for that. And we, yeah, but there is that. But at the same time, that it, it. I mean, where do we begin to understand uh, what what she feels, what she goes through, and and the the reward that she must uh, that she must experience in actually bringing forth life? It's just an amazing, yeah. incredible wow. thing that we can only uh, be a part of on the sidelines, so to speak. Can I just bring up one other thing? Can I can I bring up a little, little, little something that, that kind of I've, I've thought a lot about? I've thought a lot about this idea of children, and and you know I've watched this happen um, with my wife three different times. You know mm. where there are these children that are growing in her womb, but then there are also women who never have children, but they still go through the process of having this cycle that takes place every month. And I always think it's amazing that there's this cycle that takes place every month. And you know, I happen to be in this mode right now where I'm dealing with this this mm. idea of time. And this idea of God's clock and the idea that we have this wonderful clock that gives us this monthly period of time that we look at. And then I think about women who, within their very bodies, they have this process. Now, I wouldn't yes. be as quite as graphic as Nehemia on... on uh, <laughs> I don't even know what you're referring to. <laughs> but, well, but, look, no, no, but what you're saying no, is so but, true, but, Keith, but, because but, in, in both the, in, in the solar um, uh, cycle, also in the lunar cycle, and the cycle of the egg in a woman, if you yeah. if you draw these things to scale, you can see that there is clearly a pattern. When you think about that, and you think about this cycle, and you think about the moon, and you think about time, and you think about the way God created mm-hmm. things, I mean, I I've just been overwhelmed, absolutely overwhelmed, at the specifics and the ways yes. that God creates and what He does. You know, I had this process where I was trying to figure out why chickens were able to lay eggs without the help of a rooster. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. there's just all these, <laughs> all these things in creation. Well, one of the most amazing things in creation, one of the the most amazing um, ideas, this this concept in creation, that, that there's this woman that walks the earth that's tied to the cycles of the earth in creation, mm-hmm. I think, just amazing. So, it is. It's amazing. And there's yeah. a consistency that you can observe, a consistency in pattern and order of our creator. The, mm-hmm. the intention and design of our creator, really mm-hmm. it is incredible uh, when you study those things out. But can we bring up one last thing? And uh, Nehemiah, I'm glad you brought the technical terms of this idea of being Tame. Um, or, or, um, is that one of the things that's happened, and I know we're going to talk a lot, a lot about this, but I want to just establish this very quickly. And I want to ask a very simple question. Jono, um, when your wife is in a state of being unclean, mm. does that make her bad? No, no. Nehemiah. But- Okay, let me ask a question. I mean, when when a woman is in, in, in being in a state a state of being unclean, does that make her bad? No, of course not. Of course not. Now, I, I, you guys can say that, but I actually have met people that say, "Oh, because she's in this state of being unclean, that means that you know she is whatever." Well, then what they what they often don't do is they don't just talk about what that concept is overall for men and women mm-hmm. being in that state. And we talked a little bit about it, but there's sort of this idea that sort of she's this walking. Um, you know, walking uh, in the old days. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Charlie Brown, uh, the cartoon Charlie Brown. But there's um, there's one little guy that they call Pigpen. Pigpen. And when, yeah, and when Pigpen <laughs> walks around, there's this dust that there's comes up. Every cloud. Day, this cloud of, <laughs> you know. But that the idea of being unclean didn't mean bad. It meant this is what you couldn't do. The things that you couldn't do. But it doesn't say there's anything wrong or anything mm-hmm. bad about being no, in that absolutely. state. It's, it's, not, it's not a sin to be ritually unclean. Exactly. Um, I wanted to establish it, the, that. The, the sin is when you then touch one of the holy things, like right. the sacrificial mm-hmm. meat that we talked about, or if right. you go into the tabernacle or temple, that's where the sin uh, enters. Exactly. And then, and then specifically with the, with the menstrual impurity, you have a, another aspect, which is having uh, relations during that time. And there's, mm-hmm. there's a separate specific commandment it appears mm-hmm. twice, two witnesses, Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, Ezekiel's our third witness, that, that tells us that that's not something that should be done. But that doesn't mean that being in that state by itself is bad. On the contrary, it's part of this cycle, which has Amen. to do with holiness, which has to do with the creation of life. 
Amen. Now, this was, I'm glad you brought this That's, up, Keith, because this was a, uh, a topic. I was surprised at how many women feel uh, condemned by right. Leviticus 15, not right. really understanding it. And uh, as a result of that, Nehemiah and I did actually do uh, have a discussion uh, where Nehemiah did explain in detail wait, wait. Leviticus 15. On the 15. radio? On the radio, we have. We wait, have why that. wasn't I invited? Why wasn't I invited? Wait, do you remember that, Nehemiah? I, I do. Yeah. Remember when we said, said not, "Don't not ring Keith. Keith. Don't talk." <laughs> <laughs> now, what I'm going to do, I will, I will post that up with uh, with this one as well, so that people can, because really, that, that, that there was some considerable detail there, and, and not only that, but there were many, many comments, both on Facebook and in the comment mm-hmm. section of the website, of women so relieved, saying, "Thank you so much for for explaining this to us." So. Obviously, that's um, that's something to revisit from time to time, yeah. and we'll, we'll I'm glad that we talked about that. That's really that's really this really is important. So it is now yeah. chapter thirteen and and on, <laughs> really kind of is riveting radio, and I just can't wait to get into it. Um, wait, that's <laughs> fine. All right, what it's all about is leprosy. Where it's uh, the details of leprosy. I would. Uh, I would encourage listeners to read through it in detail. Hold and, on, Jono. And, just a minute. And, 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 and Jono, I'm not letting you off the hook on this. No. And, <laughs> no, no, and, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you we've had a fight. Okay, <laughs> Jono wants to. Jono I think Jono somehow, should read the whole chapter in Hebrew. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, what I was going to say before we before we get into you know and and, and again, listen, I think I think there's there. One of the things we could do is, is, is just the general overview of what we're talking about here. Because you use the word leprosy mm-hmm. as chapter 13 was dealing with the issue of le- leprosy, but uh, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't quite see it that way. Um, it isn't just an issue so give, of leprosy. Give us the Methodist perspective. Yeah, no, 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 the Methodist perspective. So we have an issue of skin disease, correct? Mm-hmm. All right. And, and that skin disease isn't just an issue of leprosy, am I correct? There's various... Well, well, look, it, infe- it infects houses, so obviously it's not a, a biological disease like we understand today. Mm-hmm. And what right. I was always taught is that sarat, what's the Hebrew word, sarat, that sarat isn't leprosy. You know, leprosy, well, normally when you say leprosy, you mean specifically something called Hansen's disease. Right. Um, and, uh, and that sarat is not Hansen's disease, what I was taught, but that it was, <clears throat> it was actually some type of spiritual um, ailment or malady that doesn't really exist anymore to the best of our knowledge. And, and the reason they, they thought it was a spiritual uh, um, disease is, is, again, first of all, it, it infects not only people, it also infects clothes and houses. Um, so so I mean, what, like, what's that about? You know, bi- microorganisms, as far as I know, don't infect um, houses and clothes. Uh, you know, I mean, so, so what is that really about? And, and then one of the clues that would point to that is the stir we have in Numbers chapter 10, can we look at that? Or yeah. So Numbers ten, we've got this story where um, Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron, are um, they're gossiping about Moses. That's the bottom line. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we in they're, twelve. They're, or I'm sorry, it's twelve. 12 is it twelve? Twelve ten. Twelve ten. Yeah, that's what I meant to say, and you'll edit it so it sounds like I know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and it opens up, and Miriam and Aaron spoke uh, about Moses concerning the the Cushite woman, which he had taken. For she, for he took a Cushite woman, and and what's really interesting is we don't know what they were taught, what they were saying. There was some gossip going on here, mm-hmm. but we don't know what the gossip was. He was mistreating her, or he was, you know, what was he doing that they were gossiping about it? Or you know, she had a funny nose. Who who knows? Doesn't, we don't know. It doesn't say. Um, but then it says in verse four, and Jehovah said uh, suddenly to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, go out the three of you from the tent of meeting, and they went out. Etc. 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 And where's the part I'm looking for? All right, all right. Uh, I'm gonna, no, no, no. I'm going to read this. Let me read this because this is a great story. Okay. I know we're going to visit this in detail when we get you there. You guys eventually. are kidding me. No, no, no. Wait, here, right? <laughs> Hush now. Okay, this is it. Suddenly, <laughs> Jehovah said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out. You man, you know you're in trouble when boy, come yeah. out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. I've got exclamation mark after that. So the three came out. Then Jehovah came down in a pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. Oh. And they both went forward and he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, Jehovah, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. 
He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of Yehovah. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Oh, so oh. there it is. Now that, that needs to be read. So the anger of Yehovah was aroused against them and he departed. And verse 10, when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned towards Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us, in which we have done foolishly, and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead, whose flesh is half consumed when it comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to Jehovah, saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. And then Jehovah said to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, would she not have been shamed seven days? Let her shut, uh, let her be shut up outside the camp seven days, and afterward she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey until Miriam was brought back in again. Wow. wow. So what we have here is she and her brother are gossiping, and, and apparently she's leading it. Because um, she's mentioned first, and, and there's a whole grammatical mm -hmm. thing that we'll talk about maybe when we get to Numbers 12 that, that shows that she was really in, char in charge of the gossip. Um, and uh, and God punishes her with leprosy. So this isn't like a regular disease that you get from you know somebody sneezing on you. Mm. This is something that has a spiritual aspect to it. And we can see a similar thing in Exodus chapter 4, verse 6. I'll quickly read it. It says... Um, uh, furthermore, Yehovah said to Moses, to him, to Moses, now put your hand in your, in your bosom, mm. meaning in your shirt. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. So his hand was covered in leprosy, and it's described the same way as with, with Miriam. It was white as snow, mm. the hand. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. So this is uh, being given as a sign, leprosy. It's a sign that in the case of Moses, that God's actually uh, speaking to him. Here it's a case that, that um, it's given as a sign that, that she's sinned against mm. God's messenger. And, um, and, and so it may have a spiritual aspect. And then the third story we have about leprosy is, I, I know one that you want to talk about, Jonah, mm. which is in uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. And there a person is healed of leprosy, and it's done in a supernatural way. So in all three cases, we have these supernatural connections to leprosy. It really makes me wonder whether this is actually uh... a regular... Disease yeah. like Hansen's disease. Sure, and it's not just it's not just that's not the only connection. Obviously, there is also a judgment of leprosy, like Miriam, and the phrase once again, uh, the chapter of Second Kings, chapter five, uh, ends with leprous as white as snow. So, mm -hmm. Keith, can I have your permission to? Uh, I mean, I already had a board meeting here in the uh, studio. It was just me, and I was officially bored, and uh, <laughs> and I decided I reckon I reckon we should read this chapter. What can, can we do that? We should wait. Read it. Read the chapter. <laughs> Second Kings, chapter five. This is the story of Naaman. Are we not so going to go to Leviticus chapter thirteen? Are we? Are you guys just not going to let me talk about Leviticus chapter thirteen? Is that the idea? Let, it, let him talk about Leviticus thirteen. Okay. We'll give us, the, give us the, the Methodist version of, of, of uh, no. It's Leviticus not the Methodist 30. version. What I was excited about <laughs> here, I was excited to talk about, and we, you guys want to talk about everything else. Hey, for those that want to look at Leviticus thirteen, <laughs> Leviticus thirteen. Okay, can I just establish one thing? Let's do it. First of all, we're not just speaking about leprosy in Leviticus chapter thirteen. Is that fair? There are, there are rashes. There yeah, are, there's various. There are, yeah. there are different things I, that are I, I happening. I agree. I think we're talking about we're talking about leprosy and how to distinguish it from other things. Okay, so, so that's manifest in some various that's ways. That's the point right? I'm trying to make. We're not. There's okay. different forms of leprosy. Sure. Thank and, and, you. And, and one that's... of the reasons that I think that we we can feel safe about you know not really going into too much detail. Uh, you know, and like I said, I think it's a spiritual ailment that really isn't with us anymore. But. Um, I uh, could be wrong about that, but there's actually a verse that very clearly says here, Deuteronomy ch chapter 24, verse 8, it says, Take heed in, uh, of the plague of leprosy, you know, be careful of the plague of leprosy, that you carefully observe and do according to all that the priests, the Levites, shall teach you, mm -hmm. just as I commanded them, so you shall uh, be careful to do. And what that tells me is that when they were reading this in the public reading, uh, the average Israelite, when they got to Leviticus 13, was probably like me. He wasn't really paying attention. It's like, what are you talking about? There's a race thing and a depressed thing, and it's and it's white and it's green and what what? I don't know what you're talking about. And this is something that was that God is commanding for Israel, but the ones who are who need to be experts in it, who are commanded to be experts in it, are the Kohanim, the priests, and they're supposed to teach the people. Because the average person reading this, I really don't have no idea. What, I, I've read that chapter. 
I don't even know how many times, okay, and I so still then, have no idea what it's talking okay, about. So here's That's the, why the, I need the, the Methodist point, to explain the, it. Here's the Methodist, you guys. The reason that I was looking at it, I was looking at it from this idea that whatever it was that was happening with my skin, or whatever it was that was happening with my mm-hmm. itch, or whatever it was that was happening with the mildew, and I have something I want to say about that. Sure. Just this idea that, again, back to Leviticus chapter 11, he says, yeah, because I am holy, here are the things that you've got to do. Mm. I look at these things just like I look at the things regarding what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to do. I'm an ancient Israelite. All of a sudden, I wake up one day. I've got a rash on my leg. In fact, I've got one right now. Or I've got a little spot. And I'm thinking, TMI is this is Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'm t- <laughs> no. So, so I've, I've actually seen people that dress this. And my, my point was, what I loved about it was that you go to these priests, and these priests actually have to, have to know the difference. Mm. That was the thing that was kind of exciting to me, that, that he has this intermediary that says, okay, Look, you've got this issue. You don't. You're not sure what it is. You go to the priest, and the priest is going to be able to look, and he's going to be able to that's, examine it. That is true. And he's going to, that's that's I mean, something I, that uh, caught my attention. Let me finish, because, Jono. Okay. Let me finish before you go to <laughs> you and Mammy can go to some other chapter. Can I finish? So the point is, you go to the you go to the priest, and I can imagine this. It's like going to the doctor. No, let me take a look at it. Let me see. Show it. Show me what it is. Let's hmm. see. Is it raised? Is it not? And so the priests actually become sort of these, you know, these ones who are looking in on the people. And I mean, I, to me, that's just kind of a cool thing. Regardless of what the disease is, the priest actually looks at it and says, oh, oh no, that's this. We've got to take more time for that. And then, just in case you guys end up over in Chronicles and we end the program, I want to say something about the mildew. Because, because when I used to work for State Farm Insurance, one of the things we had to do is you had to go into a house, and we would always look for ways not to pay. Okay? <laughs> so, so it was my job to go into someone's house and to determine what's happening in the house and what's covered and what's not covered. And I just found this to be, and I know we're not going to read it, you know, but, but I just thought this was, was kind of interesting that they would go in and they would see these things that were in the house. And if, if it was this kind of mildew and if it was that kind of mildew. So now not only is the priest one who looks at the body, he also has to understand construction. And he's got to be able to go in and understand what's happening in the house. I mean, these folks are really educated. I mean, these are people who have some real understanding. And why do they have this understanding? Because these things that could basically keep you from having your, your worship experience, mm-hmm. your interaction with the creator of the universe, these are things that they had to take serious. Now, we might pass over it, but if it were those days, we'd have to make sure we understand. Look, mm-hmm. Jonah's got a rash. Nehemiah's got something in his house. Keith's got something on his chair. His clothes have become infected, and he wants to go simply and not look at it and go to the temple. And he gets up there and tries to and doesn't and isn't aware of it, and fire comes out and consumes him. Mm. <laughs> so, mm. so we don't have to talk about it. But I just thought it was pretty amazing that these priests had to have this information. Yeah. So they were, um, I mean, that's that's the thing that struck me actually as I was reading it. it. It is really one of the things that occurred to me is that he's not just a butcher. I mean, he's not you know. Right. No, no, obviously he's got various uh, functions, but but included in those functions here, the thing that occurred to me, or the thing that I thought was, he's acting like a triage nurse here, almost. And he's <laughs> exactly. like, show me what the problem is. Let me see the show symptoms. Show me the problem. Let, let, let me see it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. determine determine what it is we're dealing with here, and uh, let's see if we can't figure out what we can do. So, awesome. yet another function of the priest. And that's fair. That's, fair. that's something to highlight, so I appreciate that. Okay. Now, can we go to Kings? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> This is it. Now, look, you know, boys and girls, uh, come back into the room and make yourself comfortable. Um, you know, you can read, obviously, read through Leviticus 13, 14, read all about the leprosy. But I figured, you know, wouldn't it be uh, an opportune time to talk about probably the most famous leprosy story in the Tanakh? And uh, that is Second Kings chapter 5, and it is uh, Naaman and his leprosy. So, from verse 1, now Naaman, commander of the armies of the king of Syria was great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him, Yehovah, had given victory to Syria. Now, there's, there's something to make note of. How about that? By him, Yehovah had given victory to Syria. Mm-hmm. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a, a young girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman and, uh, went and told his master, saying, thus and thus said the girl uh, who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so he departed and took with him ten 
talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, uh, 10 changes of clothing, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. <laughs> there it is. There you go. Be advised. Make sure when he comes, just do it. Be a good boy and uh, appreciate it. Here's some gold and silver and some clothes. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to, to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks to quarrel with me. As if, you know, he's trying to start a fight with me here. And so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of Jehovah his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. And uh, are not the... Abana and the Fapar, is that correct, Nehemiah? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> something like that. The rivers, anyway, the rivers of Damascus. Better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And he turned and went away in rage, and the servant came near and spoke to him and said, My father, interesting, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of the little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his sides, and came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As Jehovah lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, Then if not, please uh, let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to other gods, but to Jehovah. Nehemiah, can I just quickly ask, two mule loads mm -hmm. of earth, why, why take earth? Is, I mean, is he going to build an altar? Presumably it's to build an altar, yeah. yeah? That's okay. the context here. But, you know, and in, but, his, in his mind, the earth has to come from Israel to make the altar somehow, you know, mm. for the God of for the God of Israel, you know, because they thought, okay, there's a God in Israel, and there's a God in uh, Syria, and there's a God in some other place. So if I want to worship the God of Israel, I've got to bring earth from that, from his country. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Answer superstition. Yep. Yes. Uh, and Jehovah, uh, pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of uh, Ramon to worship there, uh, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Ramon, of Ramon may Jehovah please pardon your servant uh, in this thing. And then he said to him, go in peace. And so he departed. From him a short distance, but uh, is it Gehazi? Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master is, is spared Naaman the Syrian, uh, while not receiving from his hand and what he brought. But as Jehovah lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman, and when Naaman saw him uh, after, running after him, he got down off his chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, Oh, all is well, my master uh, sent me, saying, Indeed, just now two, two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of, of Ephraim. Please give them talents of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, Please take two talents. And he urged him and bound the two talents of silver in two bags and two changes of garments and were handed to them uh, two of his servants. And then they carried them away ahead of him. Uh, and then he came to the citadel and he took them from their hand and stored them away in a house. Then he let the men go, and they departed. Now he went and stood before his master. Elijah said to him, Where did you go, Gehazi? And said, Your servant did not go anywhere. And then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the, when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous as white as snow. So listen, in Leviticus chapter 15. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have something I want to talk about. 
<laughs> All right, fine. We can't escape it. Is that what you're telling me? We're going to go back. I'm there telling again. you, we've got to talk really, about really, this. So there are some really interesting things in that story. I mean, maybe the most interesting thing is that Naaman coming from who you call Naaman, Naaman coming from Syria. He, you know, he comes to the door of the of a Eli, of Elisha. And he's waiting for the prophet to come out and do his hocus pocus and put on the whole show. He's seen this shtick before. He knows what it's about. You know, they, the 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 magicians, the uh, the prophets, they come and they do these these. You know, they put on the shows, and uh, and you know, and in the end, he's not healed. He still has his leprosy, and instead, he, the guy won't even come out and meet him. He sends him right. a message: Go immerse in the Jordan River seven times. He's like Jordan River. We've got these big rivers in Syria. I'm gonna, you know, and this is what a lot of people don't realize. That the Jordan River is like a tiny little, you know, creek that in a lot of countries wouldn't even have a name. You know, I come from Chicago where they literally in Chicago had an open sewer that was bigger than the Jordan River. And I'm not kidding you. It was called the Chicago River. And it was for all intents and purposes an open sewer. And it's bigger than the Jordan. You know, because you read about how God uh, in, in Book of Joshua, God stopped the Jordan River and they were able to cross. And it's like, okay, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's just not on the same order of impress, you know, of impressiveness as splitting the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you're kidding me. Um, no, no, I'm sorry. It's it, it's a little tiny puddle. Anyway, so um, so he, so here's the thing. So so he uh, you know, he's expre- expecting some kind of big hocus pocus, and mm-hmm. if you're going to dip yourself in the water, it's going to be the biggest river of all and the most impressive river. And it says he says you know, immerse yourself in the Jordan seven times and the guy won't even come to him mm. and uh, and he sees in the end that it works and that's the bottom line Jono, i'd like to say something about your story that you brought up i really i really do want to say something and it's related to leviticus um in terms of the the um the the, the um the infectious diseases and, and all of this because what's really cool about this story and it really is connected to what nehemia is i thought this is what nehemia was going to say was that as 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 he comes you know, uh, Elijah says, "Okay, go and dip in the in the Jordan seven times," and and for whatever reason, that's all the man had to do. Now he might looks at and he says, "Look, I needed this, I needed that. What about this? What about that?" And and in the end, he did in in fact do it, and and then came this cleansing, came this healing. And when I read in these these um these rules, these regulations, and these these things in Leviticus up until the time that we've just stopped, it's kind of the same thing. Go and do this, do this. Have it, in fact, have this, have that. And can you hear the people saying, I'm not going to do that. But when you do the very things that God commands, if he commanded it through the prophet, then healing came. And so that's why I think the story is so powerful for me, is that it seems like an inconsequential, like, what are you talking about? Dip in the, the little puddle that Nehemiah calls the little puddle. <laughs> but the bottom line is, if it's a command, if it's from him, guess what? The end result is healing. Mm. And so that for, for me, that's why I think it was powerful about the story. Not to mention, I love the fact that it says that there was a young lady that was there with Naaman, who was from where? The young servant girl. Where was she from? She was taken Absolutely. And what did she say? But it, it was her that, that uh, put to him, look, if it was some great thing that he'd asked you to do, you would have done it. But all these... yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I want to say this. That she, she reminds me of the importance of the Torah when I hear her saying that. You know, in, in my... In my tradition, it's like, well, if you give this and if you do that and if you do this and if you do that and if you read this and if you read that and if you pray this and if you pray that. But here this little Hebrew girl comes and says, but, you know, he simply asked you to do something. And I think about her saying that to us today. And this is going to make me want to pray for a moment Mm. because I hear her voice today that says this. Here's what the Torah says. Here's what the Torah says. Will you not consider just doing it? You know, and in other words, I mean, people want to get around it. Let's get away from it. How do we get out of it? How do, what do you mean about you want me to do this and have the woman's flowing with blood or not? Blood? These are the things he says do. Hey, what if we just do those things? Mm. And let's, then, then let's see what happens. So I want to say a quick prayer for, 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 uh, that, that we would consider as he reveals the information, as we become like Naaman, who says, okay, I need healing. And he says, go dip seven times that we not sit and try to argue and say why this is not big enough and important enough and it's just the Torah and it's old and it doesn't matter anymore. What if we just do it and see what happens? Mm. So I'd like to say a prayer. Uh, Father, I want to thank you so much for this wonderful program that you have allowed for us to come in to struggle through and to work through your Torah, this important and amazing book, the Word of God that you've given for the people of God to do your will. Help us to be able to pray the prayer that our eyes would be open, that they would be uncovered, that we might see these amazing and wonderful and powerful and healing uh, um, um, things in your Torah. So let us let us be able to, to, to not only see them, but then to apply them. In your name, Yehovah. Amen. Mm. Mm. Amen. Amen.
Can I just okay. let me let me just point something out? And this is you know um, this is not really related to leprosy in any way, but it just comes out of that story about Naaman the leper, and and that is verse fifteen because it it takes me back to Exodus chapter eighteen, and I remember Nehemiah, you made point of this verse when we discussed this in the Torah portion. And uh, it, it was after Moses had explained to Jethro uh, all the wonderful, miraculous things that Yehovah had done. And verse 10 of, of chapter 18 in Exodus, Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, blessed be Yehovah, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the uh, hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 11, now I know that Yehovah is greater than all the gods, mm-hmm. he says. Now I know that Yehovah is greater than all the gods. But Amen. when we come over here in uh, in verse 15, after Naaman dips seven times in, in the Jordan and uh, his flesh is restored and he's totally on, healed, this is what he has to say. He come says on. to Elijah, he says, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except Woo. in Israel. That's a different mm. thing, isn't it? Amen. It's not, it's not Amen. saying that, uh, that Yehovah is above all other gods. He's saying, there is no other gods, there is only Yehovah in Israel. Amen. Amen. Okay. Hallelujah. Big Amen. difference. All right. Now, I are we... I open all our eyes like he opened the eyes of Naaman. Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. 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 So, Hallelujah. in any case, in uh, Leviticus chapter 12, 13, 14... Uh, the, the, no, the 14 is the next Torah portion. Okay, 13 and uh, all the leprosy. Do you guys want to bring anything out, out of there? No. No. We're gonna, we're why gonna why do don't we end it with you reading the last verse, verse 59. Verse yeah, there you go. This is the law of the leprous plague in a garment of wool or linen, either in the in the warp or the woof. What's a warp or a woof? <laughs> what? <laughs> so, you know, you know how fabrics have like, um, um, you know, interlocking, intermeshing mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. pieces of like thread yep. going in different directions. So one of those is the warp and one of those is the woof. Okay. All right. Or in anything made of leather, to pronounce it clean or to pronounce it unclean. That is the Torah for those things. Amen. There it is. So, boys and girls, you can uh, study chapter 12 and 13 and, and all the uh, all about uh, leprosy there. But there also is the story of Naaman. Thank you, Nehemiah Gordon and Keith Johnson for coming back Thank on you, to Tom. Pearls from the Torah portion. Much appreciated, my friends. Appreciate your time. And for those that would like to uh, read through uh, 12 and 13, uh, there will be a separate uh, interview just with me and Jono. Uh, Look for that. (laughs) I'll be reading it in Hebrew in detail. I'll be going through it in graphic detail. I'll be reading it in Hebrew myself. You can't wait. for children, it's graphic detail. That's right. (laughs) Okay. Until then, dear listeners, be blessed. Be set apart by the truth of our Father's Word. Shalom. Shalom.